as a senior pastor here, I'm, I'm so proud of our children's ministry. Pastor Tim and Teresa do such a great job uh, overseeing that. And, uh, and, and as I say often, I, I really do believe that, that the best place for your kids is not in here with us. As awesome as I am, I'm not that awesome. And uh, we, we believe... <laughs> That's not the time to say amen, Jeff. Um, but anyway, um, usually it's okay to say that, but yeah, I know you love me, praise the Lord. Otherwise, you wouldn't give me such a hard time. But anyway, um, I love you right back. Uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, we, do, we do, I take pride in our children's ministry, and, and we believe very strongly that your kids are going to learn best in an environment that is designed for them. We take the Word of God, or we cut it up into little pieces so that they can, they can receive it on a level that they will understand. We use a lot of puppets and drama and different things like that to get the word of God across to your children. And, and as, I, as I say it often, that, that you do want your children to love church. You do not want your children to be bored at church. You don't want your children to have a bad experience at church. You want them to love church. Usually it shows up when they're teenagers and all of a sudden parents get excited about, well, how come, you know, I mean, you know, what, my kid doesn't want to come to church anymore. And, and so we want to teach our kids to love church to love coming together as the family of God, as the people of God. And, uh, and so we endeavor to do that and build that into this congregation and build it into uh, our kids' ministry and everything that we do. And as they progress through and, uh, you know, through our, our, our teen ministry and, and youth ministry, those things, until they become, you know, perfect adults like you have all become. And, uh, you know, that's our goal and our aim here at Joy. And so, uh, again, I say thank you to our children's ministries, our youth ministries. Sometimes they are the forgotten areas of our church, but I don't ever want them. To, I'll try to not let you forget them because uh, there is a high premium uh, of value that we place on that ministry to kids. So with that, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and we're going to pray. We'll get into the word this morning. God a couple of other things happening this morning. But Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this time that we can be together, Lord. I thank you for this congregation, for the, the people that make up Joy Christian Center. And Lord, as we approach your word, we always approach it with, hum, with humility, with reverence. We do want to receive knowledge and instruction from you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that which you have said, that, Father, that, that there are things that only the Spirit of God can teach us. And so, Lord, we believe that every ear that is here today will be anointed to hear things that you, Father, desire for us to know and to learn. I ask, Father, that you would anoint me to speak. And, Father, we pray according to the Apostle Paul, who prayed and said that, 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 that his desire was that we would be filled with all the fullness of God and that we would know what is the length, the depth, the breadth, and the height of your love. And so, Father, we thank you for that this morning in the name of Jesus and everybody said Amen. As uh, Pastor Tim mentioned, we are uh, a couple of things. We've kind of flipped the service just a little bit, but uh, we are in the third part of our series called uh, the, the Christmas Song. And uh, I, I don't know, I've enjoyed this. I've, I've never been, it's always a little bit difficult at times to do a Christmas series just because everybody thinks they know everything about Christmas and it's about Jesus coming and being born. And, and as I was listening to that song, I was like, I'm glad there were no fox in the, uh, in the manger because then it would have been ring-a-ding, ding-a-ding-ding-ding or whatever it is. But anyway, so I was glad there wasn't that. But we think that we know so much about the Christmas story and so it's hard to present something that everybody thinks they know everything about and it's sort of we go into cruise control. And, and, and so in this series that we've been doing called The Christmas Song, there, there's a correlation that, that I want to bring to you and it starts with in Luke chapter 1 and Luke chapter 2, there are several songs that are mentioned. Mary sings a song, Simeon sings a song, the angels sing a song, Elizabeth sings a song. There are songs in, in chapters 1 and 2 that we're talking about, but also understanding that, that 
When you look at a song, and you don't have to be a musician to understand this, but when you look at a song, typically a song will have a chorus and a verse that repeat, a chorus and a verse. And, you know, first verse, chorus, second verse, chorus, third verse, chorus. That's sort of, and when we come to church, you know, in the back, at least when I grew up, it was, you know, stand to sing hymn 242. We will sing the first, the last verse, and the chorus. And so, and, and, and so we understand the chorus and the verse concept. And, and likewise, I think in this song of Christmas that we're talking about, about. Every song has one thing in common, and every song has a composer. And there's something that inspired this composer to write a song. And in this particular story, God is the composer, or in this song, God is the composer. And what inspired God to write the song is simply this, that Jesus, that Jesus was going to come to redeem humanity because of the fall of sin in the Garden of Eden. And because sin was rampant in the earth, then God sent a redeemer and a savior. And the Christmas story is really about that. And so every song starts the same way. Every song starts with a composer that was inspired to write. And we find that in Luke chapter one and Luke chapter two, he uses two unlikely people, Elizabeth and, and uh, Zacharias, and he uses those two people to begin to introduce this song. And really what we learned in that song is that God is a God who keeps his promises, even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. God is a God who keeps his promises, even when it seems like his promises are impossible to keep. Because when you look at the story of Christmas, we find that God had made a promise to Abram way back, way, way, way back, hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years before Jesus was ever born, that Abraham and Sarah, I will start with you a mighty nation that, that will bless all of the earth. And as you find out in the story, it just turns out that uh, Abraham and Sarah, it was impossible for them to have children. And you would think that if you're going to make a promise to a couple that you will have uh, offspring so numerous that it will become a mighty nation on planet earth that will bless all of the people on the earth, you would think you would at least start with a couple that, you know, didn't have just one kid. They probably had a lot of kids, right? You wouldn't start with something impossible. And yet that's what God did. He started with the impossible. And, and we find that over and over again, even when it looked like in Israel's history, that there was no way possible for them to be a blessing to planet earth or to the nations of the earth. God is a God who keeps his promises, even when it seems like his, his promises are impossible to keep. And so that inspired, and that teaches us about God. And the Christmas story helps us to understand that this great composer, God had a plan. This great composer, God had a reason. This great composer, God had, a, had a, a situation that he wanted to rectify and remedy through the birth of his son. And then we come to the familiar part of a song is the melody. The melody is, is that part that carries the words of the song. The melody is the part you hum when you forget the words. Or if you were in choir in high school and they taught you that when you forget the words of the song, sing watermelon so at least your lips are moving and it looks like you possibly know what you're singing, but otherwise you sing watermelon, watermelon, watermelon if you forget the words. Anybody, was anybody ever, was that just me? All right, some of you. All right, good. The rest of you must never been in choir. Anyway, or you were a part of a choir that actually remembered the words. But anyway, I apparently wasn't a part of that choir. So anyway, they would tell us to do that. And, and, and so the melody is the part that carries the words of the song. And likewise, last week we talked about Mary because Mary was the one who carried the living word, Jesus Christ. She was the carrier of that. And her, her song is like a melody that carried her life. And likewise, her song should become our song that carries our life. And, and we found that Mary sang that, 
sang, this, sang that great song in Matthew or in Luke chapter one about you know glory to God in the highest and on uh, or not the, that's the angel song but but she was talking about the mighty God the God of mercy and the God of power and the God of grace and as she was expressing that it became a lesson for us that our praise to God is never based on us. If you look at Mary's life and what was about to happen when the angel said, you're going to be highly blessed and favored, and it's like, wait a second, I'm a young kid that's engaged to somebody, and now you're, you're telling me that I have to tell my family that I'm pregnant, and I have to tell my fiance that I'm pregnant, and he wasn't involved, nobody was involved, I'm supposed to say, God did this? Are you serious? That's not going to go that well. Kids, don't try this at home. It will not work. All right. <laughs> There's probably some level of inappropriateness there, Pastor Tim, wasn't there? I don't know. But anyway, 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 meanwhile, back at the sermon. Uh, sorry about that. So, so here's Mary. She's, she's actually, the Bible says that she was confused for a little while, but she began to worship God in her confusion. And that probably is like a lot of us. We sometimes get confused when we're following God in life. And, and, and sometimes the circumstances can be so overwhelming, like I imagine that it probably was for her. But she focused on God, not on her problems. And that is so key and that is so important. She magnified the Lord. And you can't make God bigger, but you can certainly magnify your view of him and make him bigger than your circumstances and your problems. And the part that I liked the best about Mary's song is that who, she's basically saying, God, who are you that you looked on me? Who are you, God, to give me this favor and this honor and this blessing? God, why would you do that? Why are you concerned about me? And, and, and I think the most beautiful point of this part of the song is that God is a God who is all-powerful. He is a God who is almighty. He is a God who is great and greatly to be praised. But he's also personal. He's powerful, but he's personal. He cares about you. Actually, I like to say this, but he cares about me. He cares about me. I'm God's favorite. And so are you. You can boldly say, I am God's favorite. Amen. Amen. In fact, let's all say this. I'm God's favorite. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm God's favorite. Now that person that just said it, do you say it back to them and say, no, 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 I'm God's favorite. All right, now punch him in the nose and say, I am really God. No, don't do that. All right, don't do that. Wow, we're really, we're really treading on thin ice here at Joy Christian Center this morning. Sorry about that. If you're a guest this morning, we don't normally encourage people to have fights in church. All right? <laughs> Hopefully that goes without saying. I don't know why. Why is it that when everybody says, whenever anybody says it just goes without saying, they always have to say what goes without saying? It's true, isn't it? It's just a thought. So it goes without saying that I will finish the sermon eventually. And so my hope is that we teach you to sing a new song during the Christmas season. My hope is that the familiarity of the Christmas story comes a little bit more alive to us and, and, and is able to be applicable to our lives. And so this morning as we look at the Christmas song, we're familiar with the, the, the verse and the chorus, verse, chorus. We're kind of familiar. You don't have to be a, a, a big musician to understand that most songs have choruses and verses, or a, verses and a chorus, and chorus is kind of the most... It's the most familiar part. We understand that, but there's something else that's called the bridge. How many of you have ever heard of a, the bridge or a bridge in a song? 
All right? Not as many as probably verses in chorus, but, but, but many songs, particularly more so in the last several years where there are bridges in songs. And my thing at first as they became more common, I always thought, I think that the author of the song had words that were really good, but they just didn't fit in the verse and you couldn't put them in the chorus. And so they just took these words and kind of created something else so that they could actually use these words as something a part of the song because they were just too good to not add into the song. And I would always kind of I'd tease Pastor Caleb about that. It's just leftover words that they just didn't have anywhere to put. But, but there's actually thought that goes into the bridge, believe it or not. I wasn't the supreme authority on bridges in songs, apparently. And so Google is, though. And so I went to Google and found out the bridge. And I, I just, let me just read this to you about the bridge in a song. Most songs consist of a verse-chorus pattern with the verses describing the heart or telling the story of the song, and the chorus is usually the most memorable part of the song. When we think about the song, it might be easier to think of the bridge of the song as an arc or like a plot twist in a movie. It's a little bit unusual, a little bit different. Musically, the bridge is usually a stark contrast from the sound of the rest of the song. And you'll notice that in a lot of the songs that we sing, there's verse, chorus, verse, but there'll be something musically, all of a sudden it's called the bridge. All of a sudden there's something a little bit different in that song. Lyrically, which is more important, the bridge, of this, the bridge is the section of your song that gives the audience time to reflect on the story or gives them the aha moment or the conclusion of the things or thoughts that you have just stated. Actually, the bridge is to tell you, is to tell the listener of that song what is the most important to the author of that song. The bridge is that part that it's, it's almost, it, it reveals the gut, the honest, the emotion, the depth of the song. If I could just say to you in a few words what this song is about, that's what the bridge does. It kind of jars the listener because you're used to verse, you're used to chorus, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden, this one piece of the song pops out and it's a little bit unusual a little, and it's different from the rest of the song, which brings me to the second chapter of the book of Luke, and the angels begin to sing a song. Now, most of the other songs that we've seen, those other songs are a little bit more obscure. Uh, those, those songs don't happen in public. Those songs don't happen among a, a lot of people. In fact, Mary's song at first was just with Mary and Elizabeth. Elizabeth's song was, was just with the two of them. But now we're seeing something else that I think really expresses the heart of the Father. This is really what the Father was excited about. This is really what the Father couldn't wait for humanity to know in this song that he was composing and writing that was now reaching its fruition with the birth of his son. And so in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, Now that we're in the same country, shepherds, everybody say shepherds. They were living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around and about them. And they were greatly afraid. And then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. I bring you good tidings. Actually, good tidings is the same idea or the same word when you hear the good news. The good news of the gospel. The gospel and good news, same thing good tidings or good news. We get the word gospel from it. We're reading from the gospel of Luke. This is good news from Luke. This is good news from Luke. Now, how many of you ever had somebody approach you and say, hey, I got some good news for you? Anyone? About half of you. I feel sorry for some of you, but anyway, that's all right. Hey, I got good news for you this morning, all right? But, but if, if I said to Pastor John, hey, Pastor John, I got some really good news for you, that would create some expectation for you, wouldn't it? 
But if I said, hey, John, Pastor John, I got some really good news for you. You owe me $50. <laughs> That's, good news for That's good news for me. Not so good for him, is it? Right? So whenever anybody says to you there's good news, we have an expectation, don't we, that the next things we're going to hear are actually good. And so the angel is saying, I bring you good tidings or good news that is going to produce great joy. Now, if I went to pastor, hey, I got some good news for you, and I pull out of my, my, my pocket a wad of $100 bills and start putting them into your hand, that's good news, isn't it? And what's that going to do? It's going to produce great joy. And then Michelle's going to say, hand that yeah, over. Yeah. <laughs> for all people, yeah. It's good news and great joy for my wife. And so anyway, no. And, and, and so sorry, we're having fun in church. I Forgive me. If you go to a church that you can't have fun in, just forgive us for a little while. And you're welcome here anytime. But anyway, <laughs> I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for the good people. For who? You see, what makes this news so good is that it's for everybody. What makes this news so wonderful is that this isn't just for the right people. It isn't just for the Jewish people. It isn't just for the religious people. It isn't just for the, the best people. This is good news of great joy for everybody. Amen. And this is the bridge of the song that God is so excited, I think at least, that God is so excited to share with humanity that I've got some good news for not just the Jewish people, but for all people everywhere. And it's not just for those alive today, but it is for those of every generation in every nation, in every tribe, in every tongue, every human being on, this, uh, on the face of planet Earth. This is good news for you. So when Christianity, when the birth of Christ was announced, it was announced as something of good news and great joy. What's happened in 2,000 years? that somehow the preaching of the gospel, the good news, isn't good news anymore. Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> it wasn't just Facebook. <laughs> that's sometimes the right answer in church, but that's not the answer this time. What is it about the body of Christ and what is it about the church that we have taken good news and turned it into bad news? Or boring news? Or news that really doesn't stir us or move us? News that isn't that important to us? What is it about the church that we have taken the good news and we haven't wanted to share good news with somebody else? Because when Christianity started in the heart of the Father was something that was projected as and presented as good tidings of great joy for all people. And the other unexpected, there's a couple of unexpected parts like the bridge. Verse 11 says, there is born to you, here's what the good news is, for there is born to you this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. He is the Messiah. And this will be a sign to you that you will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying <clears throat> in a manger. This good news of great joy that was presented by the angels to shepherds. And shepherds were given the invitation to go to Bethlehem to find the baby and there worship him. Now, Shepherds weren't invited to anything. Seriously, they did not, you didn't create a list of, uh, here's my Christmas party and you know, you got all these people and it's like, oh, shepherds, no, they're nasty. Don't want them to come. They stink, they smell like sheep. They're always out in the field. They got hair, they got hay in their hair. I mean, they just, they're, they're nasty people. They aren't the people that you invite to the big deal. 
at all. And yet God decided that this proclamation of good news of great joy to all people should start with the shepherds, the most unlikely people perhaps, because the likely people would have been the religious leaders. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> the most likely people would have been the scholars. The most likely people would have been people that were the good, the right, the righteous people, or perhaps kings and princes or or. or, or military officials, those would have been the right people. But once again, God displays his love, not just for the right people, not just for the good people, but for all people. And he made a decision to make this proclamation in an unusual way to those who perhaps by society standards weren't the most likely people, which is really, I think, one of the best parts of the Christmas story. That God takes the unlikely and sometimes the unlikable and presents a message of good news, and if we will respond to that message of good news, brings change into our lives. None of us, none of us have anything wherein we can boast in and of ourselves that we are so good, that we are so right. All of us have reasons to be disc discarded or not included in this gospel presentation, and yet God has extended that mercy and grace to everybody. And this powerful God wants to be a personal God to you, and to me. And yet many times our feeling that we're unworthy, that we're not good enough, that that feeling permeates our, our, our sense of who we are and our sense of worth. And we've not allowed the weight of the gospel, the good news of the gospel to bear on us in a way that changes us and shapes our life and shapes our thinking. And so this unexpected moment is a lesson for you and me. This unexpected moment that this proclamation is made to people who probably didn't make many invitation lists is a lesson and a message to you and I that when we feel like we are at our weakest, when we feel like we don't deserve, that God is still extending mercy and grace to us. I'm going to ask the, the ministry team is coming. Uh, they're going to do a song in just a moment. I'm going to ask them to come and get ready for that. Uh, it's a beautiful song that they'll be doing, and we'll finish up some thoughts here. But while they're coming... For me, <clears throat> the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus takes the unlikely and the unqualified and he causes us to become the qualified. And when Jesus was born, when he was laid in that wooden manger in that trough, basically a feeding trough in a barn, that was unexpected. Because kings and saviors aren't born in barns, they're born in palaces. The pronouncements aren't made to common ordinary people, but to the important and the right people. But God, in doing that and in demonstrating that, when God did that, painted a picture for us, sang a song to us that all are welcome, all are invited. Your past doesn't matter. In fact, really, the past that matters for you is what the Bible says in the book of Ephesians, that before the foundations of this earth, God had a plan for you. Before you had a chance to mess up, before you had a chance to become unworthy or unqualified, God had a plan for your life. And when Jesus came, it was the announcement that this powerful God was going to be a personal God to bring change into your life. And that's what he offers us this Christmas. Ministry team.
And don't go too far away. Thank you, guys. Let's give them a hand again. Thank you so much. Hello. Hello. Who are you? I'm Madison. How old are you? I'm 15. Yes, you are. Yeah. You're not driving yet? No. All right, we're good. Your mom won't have to go into a heavy prayer yet then. That's good. <laughs> she get ready to. I have a quick question for you, and uh, please answer as honestly as you can. Uh, wait, this is not going on Facebook or anything, is it? Okay, all right, good. Every time. <laughs> well, here, okay, let me, let me just sort of get over here. No, um, and so, so here's, here's a quick question for you. Have you ever done anything wrong? Yes. Okay. You care to share with us any of the wrong stuff you've done? No, thank you. No. <laughs> I don't understand why. <laughs> Talk to you later, yeah, exactly. So, so, was it, so how did you feel when you did something wrong? Pretty bad. Pretty bad? Okay. Yeah. Did you feel bad when you were doing it or when you got caught? More when I got caught. <laughs> so, so did you ever, like, say I'm sorry? Yes. Who, who did you have to say you're sorry to? Uh, whoever I did wrong to. Yeah, okay. A lot right. of people. A lot of people? All right, all right. Good. Well, it's a good thing you're in church the way it's sounding. I mean, I don't know what the next <laughs> 15 years are going to be like. But anyway, no. Um, and so, so I guess there's a, there's a couple of things. So, so there have been times that maybe, maybe you, you've gotten your mom mad or, you know, you needed to say I'm sorry or she caught you doing something, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it's amazing how parents have that capacity to do that. But um, so, so when you did wrong and you felt bad and, and you asked for forgiveness, you said, you know, I'm sorry. How did you feel after that? I felt a bit better after I apologized. You felt a bit, a bit better? I felt better, yeah. But okay, all right. Yeah. So what's the but kind of, right? What's that? What? felt kind of like, yeah, I still feel bad, though, because I did this, and they know I did this wrong, so. So there was still sort of that, like, okay, I've done something wrong, and you say you forgive me, but I still feel like there's still something hanging out there? Yes. You felt that way? Yes. Huh. You know, you're probably the only person on the planet that's ever felt that way? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Madison, thank you. I'm going to take this away from you because you're going to take my job away. Give her a hand. Thank you for your honesty, Madison. I appreciate that. Here's the scoop. Most of us know what that feels like, don't we? How many of you have ever done something wrong? Anyone? All right. Almost all of you. That's, you're way more honest than first service or way more awful. I'm not sure which one it is, but, but either way, you know what that feels like to have done something wrong. You know what that's called? That's called guilt. And guilt brings a weight with it, doesn't it? It brings a weight with it. There's a, there's a consciousness that we have that's like, man, I am wrong about something or wrong with somebody. And, and, and then when we've asked to be forgiven, sometimes we're forgiven, but we still feel that unworthiness. We still feel that weight sometimes. And, and that feeling is common to all of us. We know what that's like. We know what that feels like. We've all experienced it one time or another. It'd be like if you were driving your car too fast and you got stopped and there was a speeding ticket. You're, you're issued that ticket and then Usually there's a fine that is associated with it. You take that ticket to the courthouse or however you do it. Maybe I, I've never had one, so I don't know exactly how you do this. But anyway, uh, all right, I lied, sorry. But anyway, it's been a long, long time. So anyway, uh, not that I deserve it, but anyway, I'm feeling guilty. Anyway, so, so, so this, this thing that goes on that we feel at times in our life we take that ticket and then we go to the judge and we pay that ticket, we pay that fine and, and we have been released now from that debt. That is a debt-debtor relationship. 
I've done something that has now created a debt with another person or with a law. I've broken a law. Well, all of us are familiar with that feeling, but the same thing happens in the kingdom of God or, or really happens on the inside of us. There is a debt-debtor relationship between us or humanity and God. There is a debt that is owed called sin. And sin has to be dealt with. Sin has to be removed. Sin has to be dealt with because sin will never be allowed into God's presence. And we understand, I think most of us understand at least, that when Jesus came to planet Earth, he came as the Savior. He came as the Redeemer. He came to deal with that debt-debtor relationship. And to understand the good news is to understand that Jesus Christ came and he paid the debt. It would be like sin is the speeding ticket, and we get that $150 speeding ticket, and then Jesus steps in and says, I'll take care of the $150 speeding ticket for you. Right? We get that. I can tell by some of your responses. You understand that from a theological, redemptive reality aspect, but how many of you have ever felt like even though you understand that debt-debtor relationship and that Jesus came to take away our sin, to pay the price that we could never pay, it still, some, it still sometimes feels like we're kind of getting away with something with God. That God has, you know, God has chosen to forgive us, but we still feel a little bit guilty. We still feel like, yeah, you know, I know that Jesus took care of it and I know that you forgive me, but I still feel like there's some unworthiness there. There's still some weight there. And, and, and in coming back full circle to the bridge, to this pronouncement that reveals the heart of the Father, that, that it says again in, in Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, that the angel of the Lord, suddenly there was with the angel the multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill, toward men, that this good news of great joy for all people would produce peace on the inside of humanity if we would allow it. And I think that many times we aren't willing to or have not gained the faith to allow the peace of God to work in our heart in this realm or in this way. You see, this powerful God who used Jesus Christ to remove sin by the sacrifice of his son, his blood shed that became the price paid so that you and I could stand before the judge of heaven and be declared not guilty, not by our works, not by our righteousness, not by the things that we have done, but because of the pure spotless blood of the Lamb of God. We now stand in front of that king that judge, that heavenly judge, as being deemed pure. That's a lot for us to swallow. That is difficult at times for our mind to grasp, and yet this powerful God wants to be a personal God to you and to me. And that's the song of Christmas. That is the bridge. That is the unexpected part. That is the heart that God wants to reveal, not just to the Jewish race, not just to the good people, but to people, people everywhere. Common, ordinary people who trip and fall and stumble and say stupid things and do dumb things, you and me. <laughs> this powerful God wants to be a personal God. And see, that's the good news. But this good news gets better than our sin being forgiven. It gets better than, than, than those kinds of things. It gets even better. We're not just like a, 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 a slave or a servant in the house of God who has been deemed worthy enough to come into the house of God. We're far more than that. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. 
It says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. You see, we're not just servants of God. We're not just you know, members of the household of God in the sense that we're now allowed to come into the presence of God, but we are children of God. And it's one thing when, like when we had this stage full of, 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 you know, young children, little kids, and we look at them and they're so pure and spotless and just, they're so cute, even when they cry, even when, I mean, they're just so cute, particularly if they cry and they're somebody else's kid, that's even better. You know, they're just, just, you, you can't help, but your heart melt at them. And it's easy for us to see God loving little kids. But what about adults that have made mistakes? What about adults that have had failures? What about people that have had relational hardships and failures in life? Or maybe they've destroyed a business. Maybe they've hurt other people. What about people like that? What about people like me? Because that's really the biggest question. The biggest question is, how does this powerful God relate to me? And Paul, by the Spirit of God, writes, you're no longer slaves, you're not foreigners, you're, no, you're, you're not outside of the family of God or the kingdom of God. And here he says again, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The word joint heir means equal heir. An equal heir. You, in other words, maybe, maybe the word heir doesn't mean much to you, but it means an inheritance of. You are inheritors of God. And whatever God bequeaths to his son Jesus Christ, because you are not just heirs, you're an equal heir, whatever he gives to Jesus, he gives to you. And yet our thinking is, well, you know, I could see that Jesus, that, that God would give his son whatever it is that his son needs or whatever his son wants, that he would bequeath and give everything to his son, but I'm just me. And yet the Bible calls, this is the song of Christmas, the Bible says, I think this is the heart of the father that he was so excited about, that you're an heir of mine. You're an equal heir with Jesus Christ. Stephen Jobs has a lot of money. And he left a lot of money to different people. How many of you would like to have been on that list? You're on a better list. You're on a better list. You're on a better list. You are children of God. And if you're a child of God, then you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. And maybe you're here today, how can I, I want to get on that list. Anybody want to get on that? I, I tell you what, there's, there's an easy way. That's the song of Christmas, and it's the reason that Jesus came. Jesus came so that this powerful God would be a personal God to every single human being on the planet, regardless, just regardless of whatever excuse you can come up with. And the only way, the only way, Jesus said, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, if you want to be a child of God, then you need to change the family that you are in. All of humanity was born into one family, as family of sin. When Jesus was talking with Nicodemus in the third chapter of John, he said, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you need to be born again. You need to be refathered. You need to have a different family. 
And the way that that happens, that new birth experience is, is, is a transaction of faith. Because God did the heavy lifting through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Jesus shed his blood and he died on Calvary's cross. He paid every single price that could ever be paid. And the only thing that God asks for you to do, he doesn't ask you to do anything other than this. Take your faith, your believing, your action, and believe what Jesus has done for you. Believe that it's enough. That's it. That's it. It is so simple, it's hard. Because human tendency is, well, I gotta do this and I have to do that and I have to, I, I, there's all these things I have to do. No, then it's not grace anymore. By grace, you're saved. Through faith, not of yourself, lest anyone boast. So would you please bow your heads with me this morning and close your eyes. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your presence in this place this morning, Lord. I thank you for the laughter and the fun that we've been able to have. We thank you for the wonderful ministry that we've gotten from the kids. But Lord, we're, we're here for serious business also. Because I know that you are a God of all power, all might, all majesty, and all glory. But I also know that you are a personal God. And that you set things in motion. You set this song in motion to sing to humanity. A song that says, all are welcome, all can come. It's just a matter of faith. And so with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, please, nobody looking around for the next few moments. If you're here today and you've never surrendered or accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior, and you would like to today, I want to pray a simple prayer with you. Would you please hold your hand up real high and say, Pastor, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Just hold your hand up real high. Anyone at all? Yes, sir. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else today? Do not be afraid this morning. I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than pray with me. Yes, sir, thank you. Anyone else this morning? Yes, ma'am, thank you. Anyone else today? Anyone else today? Yes, sir, thank you. Thank you, yes, sir, thank you. Would you all pray this prayer with me? It's, it, this is the transaction right here. Would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I come to you today in the name of Jesus. Thank you for your gift to me. The gift of your son, Jesus. I don't feel worthy, but I thank you. I thank you he died for me. That his blood that was shed forgives my sin. I thank you that he died in my place. But I also thank you that he is alive. And I believe today, I confess today, Jesus, I believe in you. And I accept you as my savior. I believe today I'm a child of God. I'm an heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Father, I thank you for these men and women that have prayed this prayer. I believe, Heavenly Father, that you begin a good work in them. And we believe, Father, that you will complete it, that your grace will run its full course in their life. And that, Father, whatever it is that they might be standing against, whatever it is that they might be encountering right now, I thank you, Father, that your power works for them because you are a God of power and might and glory, but you are a God who is so personal that you care so much that, Father, you've counted the very hairs on their head. And Father, I thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.